Today's episode of the Hotball Podcast is brought to you by Big. Taking place from Friday the 20th to Sunday the 22nd of September, some of the newest breweries who we feel are destined for big things will be pouring their beers in the recently opened Ice House Brewery Tap Room based in the heart of Bradford. There are some amazing beers being produced in the UK at the moment. However, not everyone gets the praise they deserve for one reason or another, and Big is our opportunity to put that right. Big is a beer festival celebrating the new wave of UK craft breweries destined to grow large, and you might not have heard of them, well, because they're not big yet. Breweries include Host Eyes Brewing, Sheffield's Lost Industry and Guest Appearance from Emmanuel's, Ride Bruco from Glasgow, Chapter Brewing, Heist Craft, Fell Brewing from Cumbria, Meanwood Brewery, Erin and Mothership, an award-winning all-female brewery that champion women in craft beer. And there's also going to be some amazing food supplied by Bears Den, amongst others, and classic arcade games. Come and beat Dan Logan's high score on Street Fighter 2. Come down and discover all your favourite beers from breweries where you can truly say, I knew them before they were big. To book tickets, visit eyesbigfest.eventbrite.co.uk. That's E-Y-E-S-B-I-G-F-E-S-T dot eventbrite.co.uk. This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello Hopheads, brewery operatives and purveyors of fine fermented liquids and welcome to another Hop Forward podcast. Independence. It's a word that evokes a lot of emotions. Now every business had to start somewhere. Bill Gates started Microsoft in his garage. Ray Kroc bought McDonald's from the McDonald brothers when he went in to sell them a milkshake machine. And Arthur Guinness, Ireland's most loved son, started his at St. James's Gate on the 31st of December, 1759, signing, wait for it, a 9,000-year lease at £45 per annum for the unused brewery. In 2019, Microsoft is worth over a trillion US dollars and owns 10 acquisitions, including Skype, LinkedIn and GitHub. McDonald's is a worldwide sprawling franchise and Guinness was bought by Diageo, which owns an array of other drinks brands. In any sector, as companies grow, they acquire and invest in other brands and businesses in order to profit and extend their market share into different industries and territories. But where does all this leave the little guy? The business owners who work long hours to bring home the bacon for them and their employees. How do independent businesses compete with supermarket discounts, big companies with clout and economies of scale they could never even dream of? Um, It's no wonder that emotions run high when AB InBev, for example, muscle in on the off-license retailer trade with their acquisition of a company like Beerhawk. Now, Beerhawk announced earlier this year they're moving into a newly constructed 62,500 square foot warehouse in Leeds. It's clear in moves such as this that large macro breweries are out to dominate market share. I mean, it's no wonder then when your new favourite brewery sells it to a large company to take investment from global firms that some people often feel offended and betrayed. Now I use that word some because most of the drinking population has little or no idea where their beers are being produced and that is the most alarming thing. So how can we support independence where it's found? I recently caught up with Jules Gray from Hop Hideout Uh, They're based in Commune, uh, which is a venue bringing together some of the most acclaimed independent kitchens, arts and bakeries, um, specialty coffees and craft brewers and design-led retailers um, to tackle this hefty topic of independence. Uh, We had a great conversation to think about um, where 
our produce comes from and, and being able to source it back to the root and who it supports. Um, so I can't wait to share this episode with you. Um, if you like Hot Forward, make sure you follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And visit hotforward.beer for more podcasts and insights like this one to see how we can help you get ahead in your brewing and beer business with branding and marketing services, brewery consultancy or business development. So here's the interview today with Jules Gray from Hop Hideout, all about independence. Today on the show, I'm joined by Jules Gray from Hop Hideout here in Commune. Hello, Jules. Hi, Nick. Are you all right? <laughs> yeah, good. good. It's uh, earlier than my usual uh, time, so uh, I'm, uh, it's, it's nice to actually be here when it's quite quiet and calm. Yeah. It's usually, by the time I arrive in Commune, it's already really bustling. Rocking and, and rolling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine you, should, you stay quite late running Hop Hideout. Um, I mean, the, I suppose it could be later. Um, I suppose the one thing about being more kind of beer shop and retail is that um, my days kind of typically, the, I mean, the opening hours on a typical midweek day is sort of 11 in the morning till 7 in the evening. Obviously, I do normally come in about an hour before and probably stay an hour <laughs> afterwards, sorting out the usual things like uh, stock and uh, clearing up and um, the rest of it. But, uh, but yeah, compared to kind of, I mean, it's still like an 8, 9, 10 hour shift. Um, but yeah, compared to the pub trade, it, it's not kind of a 11 oh gosh, or 12 yeah. o'clock close in the evening, yeah. which I have done in, in my time, but uh, not in the current uh, role. So just, just give our listeners some context a bit about Hop Hideout and the journey you've been on so far and how, how you've ended up here in Communion. Uh, so Hop Hideout uh, is uh, my independent business. Um, and it started in around 2013. And I guess I suppose prior to that, I've worked in the beer sector for sort of roughly 12 years. Mm. Uh, So I started working for a brewery, a large multinational brewery back in 2007 um, in Leeds. And I sort of worked for that company for about seven years, did move down to Burton-upon-Trent, worked in various roles from uh, technical support, so if a Pop was having an issue, they'd call up our team yep. and we'd tell them to turn the equipment off and back on again. And <laughs> <laughs> the old magic trick. The old magic trick. And then um, we would uh, talk them through uh, other possibilities. And then, you know, if we couldn't fix it over the phone, we would schedule engineers to go out to look at that equipment. Um, I also worked in procurement, uh, logistics, purchasing, um, mainly buying other. Um, breweries or uh, alcohol beverage companies products for this big multinational company Um, and then moving the stock around to various depots I also did forecasting uh, which is a very interesting but um, quite a stressful job I might say because you're always wrong but it depends on how wrong you are. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's just like looking into the crystal ball, isn't oh it? Oh, God, it is, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, you're trying to base, you know, you're basing it on previous facts and figures and projecting that forward so mm. that there's some, uh, so there is, you know, thought and common sense going into your um, predictions. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it, it is kind of a prediction. But it's really interesting because you talk about things like seasonality, a very events-led. You know, obviously, World Cup is a yeah. is a, a, a huge, a huge, a huge one to be forecasting, um, and various. You know, there'll be festivals, festivals in the summer season, and and obviously, depending on your account base, you know, if you're looking after sports grounds, then that's going to be very match-led and things like that. So, uh, you can kind of layer up these different. Um, elements to get your final assumptions at, at the end and also you'll be using quite complex algorithms mm. mathematical algorithms but you know uh, once you understand the models essentially you've got computers and um, software and SAP and things like that to sort of like crunch all yep. the numbers for you you're not sat there <laughs> working out yeah calculator <laughs> so if we did 500 units by the <laughs> so there, there, there is uh, all those tools I guess at your disposal um, and then 
I suppose how I got to Hop Hideout was I was getting more and more into the kind of independent microbrews sector when I was going out. Out, I was going to beer for beer festivals. Often at that time, there, there would have been very much more camera organised um, beer festivals, mm. and getting really excited about kind of the the, the sort of beer scene that was out there um, in 2010, and uh, also kind of how it was developing really. And by the time I sort of moved back to Sheffield, um, I had kind of had it in my mind that I wanted to start my own independent business for, for various reasons. Partly some frustrations at, my, at the big sort of corporate company I was at and maybe not uh, being enabled to progress to different roles that I felt that I had the ability for. Um, and I kind of thought, well, why not do it, do it yourself, really? And that's kind of where Hop Hideout was born in my passion for an interest in, in beer and especially the independent, um, you know, what you call the microbrew sector that people yep. kind of in a grey area refer to as the craft beer <laughs> yeah. sector now. Um, and uh, wanting to kind of uh, be uh, a leader of my own future and be able to make my own decisions mm. and... Um, yeah, and kind of all of that parcel together, really, I yeah. guess. That's the dream for an entrepreneur, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> that's, that's the, the dream is the word. It, yeah. <laughs> when, when you're busting long hours, you're like, yeah. oh, I was up at 4am yesterday morning working. And, you know, I, was, I sat down with my coffee and, and my laptop. I was like, you know, blah, 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 put some Instagram post out. Like, you know, living the entrepreneurial life. I can go for a run during the day if I want, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then, like, by, by the evening, I'm just like, I hate my life. <laughs> <laughs> this sucks. But there, there you go. I know. So, so Hop Hideout's now kind of been around for about five, uh, six, well, it'll be six years in November, actually. We'll be celebrating our sixth birthday. And we've had a few different iterations. We sort of started up um, more in a neighbourhood, kind of southwest, I suppose you'd class Abbey Dale, yeah, yeah. Of, of Sheffield City Centre, not far, about a mile out. Um, Obviously, I suppose you would be aware of Abbeydale Brewery being in that area, and it's kind of got a nice, nice diversity going on there. And uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of for some parts of uh, like Bedminster and Bristol. Mm. And um, there's a few other kind of uh, similar areas that sort of it reminds reminds me of. It's very creative. Yep. Um, lots going on there. There's other little independent um, shops and you know food and artisan um, makers and antiques as well yeah antiques yeah yeah, big big uh, antique centre so it was a great kind of place to sort of start up Mm. like a little independent business and we didn't know at the time back in 2013 that there was kind of going to be this huge growth and um, real spur I guess in the uh, growth of independent breweries so we're now at I think we were saying like 2,500 or something Um, which uh, it's obviously, I know, an, an, an open topic we were talking about before, whether it, it's going up or down. No one seems to truly know at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's very exciting to be able to source beer from, you know, those that wonderful array of, uh, of breweries. And I'm kind of very humbled that we're in sort of iteration number three, I guess, of Hop Hideouts. So we've just moved at the end of March of this year to a big food hall called Commune, which is in the city centre of Sheffield, very near Kellam Island, sandwiched in between the rain, uh, train station and Kellam Island, which is kind of quite a nice sandwich yeah. to be in, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> for a beer trail in particular. Uh, so yeah, we're kind of just getting uh, used to this uh, new setting for us because it's very open plan, um, you know, big 400 capacity space where you know we are still very much individual uh, hop hide out ethos in what we stock and and how we put events on and but we have to obviously work as a part of a bigger community Um, whereas um, previously sort of our shop was our space and our domain so um, you know I could plaster the walls with Bruriana and I uh, could um, you know, it was only 20 people, but it was a very intimate space, which I think is what people love. So it's kind of transitioning here is trying to sort of keep that intimacy and that um, direct relationship with yeah. our uh, regulars that we had from our previous place, but also kind of being part of this bigger mm. open community. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you today about independence. Um, I mean, wh- wh- why do you feel that independence is vital for the lifeblood? of both the beer scene, the, the local community and the, the national economy? 
I mean, I think the independent sector is hugely important. I mean, we're touching on really, and not just in the brewing sector, but in all sectors really. Personally, I just think it does, it adds such a huge vibrancy. Uh, individualism is to be celebrated. We mm. don't want this kind of homogenization of everything where, you know, you were talking before about one type of beer, one type of bread, you know, one type of... Uh, Song on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on, that's, that still happens. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it's kind of sort of celebrating that really, that individuality of, of character. I, I did, um, I was part of a off-trade um, panel show, I guess, uh, about a year ago, actually down at the bottle shop, which would right, be okay. a, yeah, an yeah. interesting thing we might touch on mm. later that was an independent wholesaler uh, in the sort of craft beer uh, worlds, um, which is now owned by um, essentially Beer Hawk, which is owned by AB and mm. Bev. Um, so within the space of kind of 12 months, there's been a turnaround there. But I was part of this panel show and was talking about um, the beer sector, and I was kind of there on the panel talking about the importance and kind of um, why people love to shop at independence and, and to me it is that authenticity you go into the place and you are often talking to the person that that owns the place um you know there's there's very much it's a cr very creative area um there's personality you know it, all of these things that uh, people find really exciting um and uh, as well community i mean that's a huge part of it yeah. isn't it I mean, you know, at Hop Ida, we, we don't just sell beer, we offer a running club, you know, I've provided beer for people's weddings, you know, there's there's kind of this more... It's like a personal touch, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, there's there's, there's more of a, a that personable care and, and sort of community and relationship feel, and, and, you know, there's lots of other reasons why it's great to be in the ind independent sector, you know, I do think there's an agility and adaptability that really drives the sector that keeps kind of us ahead of the curve in terms of tastes and interests mm. um, and that's what's obviously very attractive to the big um, you know big macro corporations or big breweries as they they kind of want to be see have that exciting exhilarating element which uh, they, they often lack yep um, and you know it's that kind of you can really sort of keep to your um, ethos I guess and and for me you know it is that kind of striving for constant improvement and um, quality and and often they'll work that their words that you'll hear from uh, at a higher level um, but but you they sometimes feel like hollow statements yep. if I'm honest from big corporations because you do wonder you know how much of that can be maintained when it's such a big yeah um, operation. Operation, yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, do you think that with, with some of the multinationals and it, I mean, they're very brand driven, aren't they? Very marketing driven. Mm. Why do you think authenticity is so key for our generation and, and I guess like, you know, millennials and why do you think our generation in particular has such a, a need for authenticity? I don't know, it's kind of, um, it's interesting that you sort of see that because in, in Hop Ida we have such a diverse rate, age range of customers. Mm. So, you know, I've got regulars uh, who I would say are sort of between 55 and 70 um, that, that love coming to our place and want to come to buy something that they know's been either you know locally made or that's been um, produced by a brewery because they were driving for that particular flavor or mm. there's a real story and connection behind how it was that beer was produced and why I guess so for me I don't just see it as the the current generation yeah. thing I think that there's always a sector a section of society that 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 wants that and looks for that mm. um, so, do you think it's come more into? I guess I suppose what I'm trying to say is that the, the the sector we're in, whether it's kind of you know whether we're talking about retailing or beer or or pubs or kind of that whole the whole sort of sector that makes up kind of you know the brew, brewing industry is that there's always going to be, um, especially since the industrial revolution uh, and 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 even prior to that. 
there's always going to be a, a makeup of sort of big corporations and, and smaller independents and kind of everything in between. Yep. That is just the na- that is the world that we live in. Mm. That is it. I don't think, and it, just as long as that there's a as a, a fine balance going on, um, then that's a positive thing. And for me, it's about transparency. So consumers consumers know what they're buying, yep. and if they're and that's how they want to spend the money, and they're happy to do that. Then it's you know that's their decision, but there should be transparency. And so those consumers that are really passionate about wanting to buy from the independent sector, that's what they're doing. They're not. One of the things that I am very against are sort of big macro companies, and you t- to sort of touch on the marketing, kind of trying to market or make their products look like yeah. It's um, a small, uh, authentic, independent um, produced yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, product or produced beer. That's the thing that I kind of uh, I'm, I'm, I get really frustrated about. Mm. And um, you know, so I suppose one of one example was a you know a big a big a big brewer, for example, buying a, um, a southwestern smaller brewery and producing a beer that sells the Cornish um, <laughs> uh, uh, way of life, yep. I guess, for example. And um, uh, so if to look at the bottle, you, you would maybe think that that was brewed in Cornwall, and that's definitely what the marketing department, we would assume, were going for. However, um, that beer was actually brewed somewhere completely different, mm. uh, which was more near the headquarters of the brewery. Yep. And obviously, this was raised as an issue by uh, you know, consumers and by uh, various other people. So it's kind of, you know, for me, I just didn't understand why the brewery just didn't say, you know, it's been brewed here because That's, yeah, totally. it, it makes it more logistically sensible for us to supply the supermarkets where this bottle is primarily going to mm. and consumers would understand that if, but you know they didn't go down that route. If we're talking about the beer in question which I think we're talking about um, I was in a, a pub fairly recent with my father-in-law and, and he, he had a pint of it and he was like oh it's brewed in Cornwall this and I, I was like no, it's not. <laughs> you know, I can tell you exactly where that's brewed. And um, well, I think y- this y- is the complex thing because I think some of the beer will be brewed right. in Cornwall, but some of the, depending how it's packaged and where the market's for it, will be brewed somewhere else. So more than likely, the bottled versions of that may be brewed in um, somewhere like Burton upon Trent, yep. whereas they still do and have quite heavily invested in their. Cornish area so mm. this is where the complexities come in so you know it, it, it's kind of it might actually have been right in Cornwall but who knows who, well this is the thing it's like how then do consumers who are um, but your father was obviously buying into that story wasn't yeah well it? that's it it's, it's, it, that, that's it's just the, pure marketing isn't yeah, it yeah, pure marketing yeah but I mean, how how can consumers then who are who want to support local independent businesses um you know, or or consume like you know coffee where they know where the beans have come from and, and eth- ethical um, produce and clothing. Like, how, how can consumers really, really, really know where these things are coming from? Like tracing it all the way back to the field, or yeah. tracing it all the yeah. way back to yeah. a factory somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think this is this is very interesting. I think there's going to be more of this. There's still quite open debate in various levels of the industry about this. Like, for example, the Society of Independent Brewers, they're obviously um, trying to um, suggest that their membership base use the particular uh, labelling yes, yeah. sticker. That's a little um, bit like the Brewers Association in the States, yeah, isn't it? How they've got the exactly. Upside down yeah, there. I mean, that's kind of what it was inspired by. Yeah. It's just the thing is here it's um, you know Seba may only have kind of half or even less than represent half like less than half of the 2,500 independent brewer, mm. brewer, breweries out there. So it's kind of ultimately sometimes comes down to the individual, but then does the messaging get lost and is it then left to the consumer to do the research themselves? I guess. Yeah. I think there's more that can be done. And um, I guess, for example, it's something I've been thinking about recently for Hop Hideout. 
how, I mean, majority, I'd say 99% of the beer that we stock at Hop Eye Doubt is independent. However, there's probably some beer that I stock that isn't 100, you wouldn't class as 100% independent. Yep. And, you know, so for example, um, you know, do I share that with consumers? Are consumers assuming that everything I sell is independent? I've never explicitly stated that, but I'm sure that's probably what people assume. Mm. Um, do I need to do more as a re retailer, for example, whether it's on my website, because pretty much everything on our stock is listed on our website. Do I have something on the bottom of each beer that says 100% independently owned, you know, 85% uh, independently <laughs> yeah. owned? Um, you know, do, do I go to that level of detail? It's something that I have been thinking about recently, um, partly because of the Magic Rock yeah. um, selling to Lion, so Lion, um, who are then owned by, is it Kieran? I can't remember the name, but I know they're owned by another company. So it's, yeah. it's another company above that, but they bought Four Pure and Magic Rock. And, and obviously, we've stocked Magic Rock since uh, we opened. I think they started in around 2011, and we opened in 2013. Um, and it, you know it was exciting to be able to because at that time they weren't doing a huge amount of small pack it was the odd special thing in in bottle that was generally hand bottled and was even sometimes dropped off by Stuart the head Stuart the head brewer um, so you know it was exciting to feel kind of to be a part of that and we've um, they've driven a lot of people into our shop by stocking mm -hmm. um, magic rock beers um, the the quality, they're great flavours, they're exciting, and you know, for uh, they've been more independent, you know, than they have sort of been owned by by Lion. Um, we've known them more as an independent, so I, I'm kind of I was very much at, at crossroads when that happened um, for lots of different reasons. I guess, guess there wasn't as much of a visceral gut reaction as I thought I might have. Um, Partly because I probably knew less about Lion. Um, if it had been some, somebody like yeah. AB InBev, you know, I think there would have been more of a visceral negative gut reaction mm. actually to that. Um, and not that I don't, it's not just not knowing, but it's also that Lion seemed to have a track record of buying breweries and kind of leaving them to it and yeah. being quite positive. And I haven't seen or heard hugely negative. Um, ethical yeah, practices, uh, practices um, apart from one article recently that yeah, was I think sort I'd... of banded around, which uh, I feel like I need to know more about that before I can really That was talk the pairing company, it. I think, yeah. it, it was yeah, referring to. Yeah, so, so the, the, you know, even that's kind of very complex uh, um, to get into. Um, but, you know, I did a big social media post to say, you know, this has happened, so consumers were aware. Um, and I felt like I needed to share that and I also kind of shared this decision that I would still be stocking those beers um, for you know the re all of the reasons that I've stated mm. really that they're very credible the beers taste great the, pe the, the people have always been you know I've seen them as running a very competent successful you know ethical business that's been fantastic so why wouldn't I want to continue to support that obviously if any of those things change which that's what I was talking about, ethos. Yeah. You know, they're very important things for people. If any of those things change, then I would look at reviewing stocking their beers. Mm. So all of these buyouts and you know bigger companies coming in, they're all you all have to take them on an individual basis. They're not all the same. Yeah. Um, and for that's sure. kind of a good example of that. But you know, back to your point, I do feel like I might have to be adding to the website. Um, this ownership element just so that people have got that level of decision making yeah. you know like for example it seems to have gone quite sort of under the radar uh, again it, you know it could be a very it's a very positive things into in terms of investment but you know I think Northern Monk have uh, had about 20% yes gone it was, to an investment company yes it was um, it's active partners who champion young Brands like Honest Burger yeah, and Secret Cinema, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, which are all and as it Finster, there's that uh, clothing company as well. Right, okay, seems, oh, I'm uh, not sure, yeah. but I mean even something like that, um, where I mean, because and this this kind of taps into this so many different issues on on all this, like with the, with the whole crowdfunding thing, and I mean they um, they obviously ra raised just under one and a half million yeah, in crowdfunding. Successful. Um, I mean, yeah, absolutely, you know. The, 
crazy figures for you know independent business like that. And then um, I sort of said, yeah, we're going to open a tap room in uh, in Manchester as well and London. Now the Manchester one obviously opened, the London one didn't. Um, if you go on their crowdfunding site, there are people saying can we have an update what's happening mm, obviously yeah. some people's nose got put out of joint when they took that investment um, from Active Partners because it's like well what about us and yeah, yeah. The, the whole thing feels quite messy mm. um, do, do you think the whole independence thing and, and particularly buy ups and sell outs and all the rest of it do, do, do you think do you think this is just a sign that the industry is starting to mature um, as, as a whole because you know I, like you say five, five, six, seven years ago you got a lot of passionate people mm. kind of brewing out of their garage or their kitchen start selling it it all grows I don't know because what we've just talked about they, they, these are ongoing cycles that have been going on you know for hundreds of years mm. haven't they so I don't think it's it's necessarily uh, the market mature and I think it's all about you know, ambition isn't it right and you know it's fine to have ambition and if you want to be really you know selling your beer around the world and having a um increase in production and having multiple tap rooms you know that that is possible to achieve but probably ways of achieving it are the examples that we're seeing which is crowdfunding investment yeah outside investment and with all of that comes you know when it's not 100 percent owned business that decision doesn't just sit with that uh, you know the people that initially set up the company anymore. There's, it adds layers of uh, complexity yeah. to it, that, and decisions that maybe they may not take. But the um, the people that are now uh, in, invested, you know, twenty percent will will have will have um, power in that decision making process. So it kind of just changes. It changes the game of chess, doesn't it? Yeah. It changes the. It changes uh, that completely. Mm. Um, you know, I think that's all around. Because if you you take the Colonel as as an example, the Colonel Brewery, you know, probably kickstarted that whole Bermondsey beer brewing. Let's say even the craft beer sector. They inspired so many people. Mm. Um, to set up brewing, more than likely, I would have imagined inspired, you know, Beaver Town, and and um, but the, you know their ambition, it seems, without ever talking to Evan about it, um, it, it they just wanted to sort of have a more of a co-op, cooperatively run brewery where everyone does a bit of everything, you know, they make a, make enough money um, to. to sort of buy a bit more archway space but you know the, the ambition there has never been it seems on the same scale as as northern monk for example yeah. so it does come down to sort of the individual ambition i think yeah. of, of the of that so how does it affect a business like yours when a brewery either sells out or sells up or or isn't completely independent anymore and you know or, or kicks off on beer twitter and all the rest of it like what's or, or on the other hand like um supermarkets you know um one particular supermarket um has <laughs> actually remained nameless but we all, we, all, we all know the elephant in the room you know um putting out these double ipas and and you know from from some sort of big hitter breweries in the uk um like how does that sort of um, their pricing then as well and or, or the volumes like affect businesses like yours I have mean, you it, seen that tangibly <laughs> outworks itself uh, I mean yes it's again it's a very complex it's a very complex subject isn't it because I personally would feel contradictory and hypocritical if I was to say to people don't buy don't buy from supermarkets because um, I mean you know Again, I mean, Tesco is celebrating 150 years or something like mm -hmm. that, isn't it? And Marks and Spencers started in Leeds Kirkstall Market as a, you know, penny bazaar yeah. store. I mean, this Sheffield, this Sheffield historical book I've got, um, when there used to be a big indoor market uh, in Sheffield, I mean, Marks and Spencers had a penny. There's a photo in here oh, wow. of a Marks and Spencers uh, penny bazaar. Like, Look at that. Which is... Sheffield uh, Shops and Shopping. Yeah, uh, sort of... The photo history kind of collection of Sheffield shops and shopping. See, I love local history. Yeah, me too. But I kind of got it out because obviously I feel like I'm a little independent Sheffield shop, and I kind of wanted to see what the mm. 
range of that sector had been like sort of historically so it's it's quite exciting to see and what I quite like about this uh, as well as it kind of gives a flavour for the, the sort of independent high street, the really vibrant, uh, diverse independent high street that there, there was and kind of how important that is to a sense of uh, community and, mm. and identity for the, uh, for the area because, you know, you don't want, uh, I think, um, you know, it's that homogenisation that we were sort of talking about before really. Um, and I think what should be celebrated is the individuality, uniqueness, um, vibrancy, kind of all of these things that you do get from the independent sector. So, um, but as well in here it talks about, um, because you often see a lot of the shopkeepers in a lot of these photos that are from um, sort of the early 19th century and it's got sort of uh, individual shopkeepers usually captured standing proudly in their doorway and one of the interesting features of small shops is how many were run by women. It's an aspect of their involvement in running small businesses that deserves more recognition. For mothers, it was a way to combine work with domestic responsibility and childcare, while for some widows and spinsters, selling a small range of goods from their front room was a respectable way of earning a living. The story of Sheffield's many corner shops could fill another book. Uh, only a handful are included here. Unfortunately, in this one, it doesn't talk about kind of uh, off-trade, um, like beer shops. Yeah, yeah. But I know from looking at some local history that uh, there's various lists of um, beer shop owners and there's a significant number of women, women's names in that Amazing. list. So, you know, I think that kind of interweaves whole other um, areas, really, of, of why... Uh, independ uh, independence is important as well because I think it can allow other areas, other people from other uh, areas of society, or um, to um, make money in maybe a place where they have been shut out from an industry before. Mm. So uh, yeah, that's like another reason why it's important. Amazing. I think it's difficult nowadays without having a huge amount of money and significant investment potentially in this retail sector we're, and brewing that we're talking about to be able to kind of grow from a penny bazaar to yeah. you know thousands of shops nationwide I think that's kind of uh, of its time uh, potentially scenario I think in other sectors like technology those sort of, sorts of stories still actually can happen um, but that's just my thinking um, so you know I, I mean I choose to shop mainly at co-op to be honest uh, for various reasons um, but you know like I say I'd be hypocritical I mean I, you know I wear nights I wear new balance um, so I, I don't feel like I can tell people where they should spend the money mm. I can only give them reasons why they should come to me yeah and I think people should come to me because uh, they get more per personal um, conversation and care when they when they when they come through to our shop we offer a really I think we offer a really exciting range um, of different types of beer I can spend 20 minutes talking to you about that beer if you want me to <laughs> I could spend a couple of minutes talking to you about that beer if you want if you want to you know we also uh, like I say run um, do running clubs because we're trying to sort of balance uh, that lifestyle yeah, and, and tackle that that kind of area which I think is a whole conversation that sort of isn't really being tackled too well in the beer in the beer world so yeah there's the Norfolk market that used to be around just showing Nick a photo of this huge um, indoor market that used to be in Sheffield so what, where, whereabouts is that in Sheffield uh, well the, the Norfolk Arms pub so it's nearby oh right gosh see there so yeah, it's opposite yeah, yeah. Ponds Forge that whole area was this huge oh, covered of course, market of course yeah because that's that's Pond Street right yeah, we'll have to share this yeah. photo. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's. Uh, I mean, it got it got uh, uh, demolished in 1959, um, but it's. You can see the sort of interior of what that looked like with wow, all these little wow. stalls of people. So these are all independent traders. I mean, I just find that so exciting. And you can see here's the the bazaar that I talked about, the Norfolk Market Hall, yeah, Marks and, and, Spencer's, it, and it lists yeah, Marks and Spencers wow. with its little stall. Crazy. <laughs> just puts it into perspective, doesn't it? So, yeah, you know, I think that that, that there's always going to be that around. I, what I again, what I'm against is anybody, which you do see sometimes in the supermarket, 
uh, is using alcohol as a loss leader. Yeah. Now that shouldn't happen, and I personally thought that that was wasn't allowed mm. in the industry. But some of the pricing that you see supermarkets with certain alcohol, you wonder, well, what are they actually being able to buy that for if they're yeah. able to offer that for that sale price? Mm. And it just makes you really question. And also, when you go into the supermarket and you see piles of beer right at the front of the doorway to the supermarket. Um, you know, even before the fruit and veg. I just think there's questionable um, activity that's going on um, that I think um, needs to be addressed, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was... Um, last week, I bought three cans from a um, local independent beer shop. Sorry, sorry, it wasn't yours. Um, <laughs> it's all right. It was that's the choice yeah, there. there. you go, that's there you go. Um, and, you know, they were, they were really nice. And then I went into a supermarket... Um, the following day and I saw like you know the big cases of Carlin near the door and I was working out like how you know how much it would cost per can or bottle whatever they were I think think it was cans and I was just like you're talking like 75 80p a can you know as opposed to like five five pound a can and you know i I I don't think i even get to buy beer for that price yeah (laughs) it's 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 crazy and it comes back to what you were saying earlier like how how is it these big companies global companies can afford to get their price points to such low levels to be profitable yeah at the end of it and then the whole layer added on that of alcohol responsibility yeah yeah as well and um pricing i mean that's kind of a whole uh, another whole complex subject that's Mm. uh that's 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 talked about but yeah i mean um so i mean i'm always going to champion the independent sector i just think you get more more from that you'll get more diversity choice and someone there to really go in and share share their experience or even i mean i find it often the other way consumers will come in because i can't stock you know every beer from 2500 breweries if they all do you know bottles or cans um so i do have to choose and sort of to a degree curate a range yep and i'll I'll do that through a, a few different thought processes you know whether it's kind of regional seasonal different types of beer styles of beer you know, kind of classic, classic beers, classic Belgian beers, you know, there's lots of different reasons why I'll, I sort of choose the range, but consumers will come in and go, oh, you know, I went to such and such on holiday and had this amazing beer and all this brewery, I did a brewery tour and this is great. And that, that, that kind of engagement and, and interaction is amazing. And I'll go and then sort of do a bit of research and mm. uh, about that. So it is kind of a, a, a very much more backwards and forwards engaged Thing with consumers yeah. um, and I'm not sure you get that experience so much in sort of bigger supermarkets. No. Um, so with your experience over the last 12 years in the beer industry um, and particularly over the last uh, six years running Hop Hideout, I mean <laughs> and obviously you've got the skill of uh, looking into crystal ball with forecasting, <laughs> I mean where, 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 where do you see a lot of this going or the conversation that's happening, the way um, global beverage companies are, are you know positioning themselves where do you see everything going um i mean i suppose at the moment i'm slightly concerned about the sort of gray areas that seem to be creeping in and that's why i think transparency really mm. is, a, is a big big thing to really push so that people are informed and can make their own shop you know decisions on on what to buy and consume um, so I think that that's an absolutely key thing that needs to happen more of, and I think we need to um, come together more as sort of an independent sector to think how we can uh, address that um, dialogue um, coherently. Is that the right thing to say? How we can express that coherently, mm. which I'm probably saying the most incoherently. It's because of the other star jewels. Not used to it. Um, <laughs> So I think that's 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 a sort of a huge thing that we probably need to address, um, and part of the reason I say that is, you know, some of the, the buyouts that we were that we've s- touched on, for example, AB Inbev buying Beerhawk, which was uh, a big mail order um, off sales mail order beer company, mm. independent beer company that's now branching out into retail as well. So they do have uh, outlets in London. And I'd be assuming that their 
five year, five to ten year plan will be to have a, I would imagine, a beer hawk retail, uh, which con now consists of sort of off and on sales. So, like we sort of marketed, marketed ourselves back in 2015, a beer shop and tasting room. Yep. Um, you know, that's very much kind of the beer hawk London model. And mm. I'd imagine that their plan would be to have multiple and, you know, have one of those in every major city. Yeah, like roll it out. Yeah, roll it out. So, you know, um, that will that will be happening. And, um, you know, consumers that walk into those outlets might not realise that beer hawk is, is owned by the biggest multinational global brewing corporation mm. in the world and i would imagine the choice that you're going to get in there is going to be filtered through the oh, biggest exactly, <laughs> yeah so a lot, a lot beer of the beer that will be uh, being pushed in at the forefront of the shop will be their brands mm. um so for example they purchased rate beer or through the acquisition investment company um, AB InBev, is it ZX Adventures? I probably get the name wrong, but okay. so they they um, bought Rate Beer, mm. which was a which was a huge um, wave, caused a huge wave in the global uh, craft beer sector. Uh, and now what you see is when you go on Rate Beer, um, they now suggest where you can buy the beer. Um, you, you can have a guess where they're suggesting mm, to buy the let beer. Let me have from. a think. <laughs> well, it's not going to be hop hide out, that's for sure. Beer hawk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know, it's all it, it all it also obviously plays together. Very, and you know what they've done this, I have to say, very seamlessly. But no one, you know, I, I think that's why transfer. I always come back to transparency here. People need to know. I mean, uh, there are a number of breweries, weren't there? That like I think Dogfish Head, for example, yeah. that asked for all the beers to be removed. But it must be difficult because, say, as a over here in the in the UK, when you're looking for bigger volume and you have that ambition to have that bigger volume, you're basically going into the convenience sector. You're basically going into supermarkets. Mm -hmm. You're basically going to bigger retailers. So you know, if Beer Hawk um, are a you know do a big volume of off-trade mail order sales, I mean. Um, you know, as a small brewery, do you say no to that volume? I mean, it'd be in, I'd be interested to know because this this is kind of as a sector, people could say no, I'm not selling to you, but you know, it's difficult to to say no to that that kind of sale. Or well, that's that the thing, isn't, isn't it? it? I mean, at the moment we're in the process of selling our house, and we. And, 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 Unbeknown to me, the whole best and final offer thing anywhere else is weird. But in Sheffield, it's kind of like everyone, you know, the estate agent wants a sealed bid. Yeah. They want people, you know, you put your bid in and it's kind of like, oh no, we want another bid. That's higher in an envelope. Um, and I, I used to be an estate agent for my sins a long time ago. So, um, and like we had our house on the market at a particular price. And then we went to best and final offers and we got just over ten thousand pounds higher than that price now before wow. that we were just like you know we're you know we don't want to sell to um that the highest bid we want to sell to the people who feel is right which is what we did in the end but yeah. when and and we we took less than that offer but when the offer actually came in the highest offer it stops becoming mickey mouse money and monopoly money it becomes real tangible cash and all in in, in your head you've you've almost spent it oh we could do this we could buy another house that's a bit more expensive and so on and I would imagine for a retailer it can be the same lure you know unless unless you're really you've got your your, your values are really really pinned down and your vision is really really pinned down that actually all of a sudden you get a, a, a big order a big offer on the table yeah it's it can be an like I said, unless you just and it could be providing money for you to yeah. potentially buy equipment yeah. or you know expand the business that you wanted to do. Mm. I know this is why it's such a grey area, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, another sort of example of this really is say uh, there's sort of quite a big independent craft beer festival that's launched in various cities. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've been to been some of them. They've been you know they've been great. Um, but I think recently they announced that they would have um, Beerwolf, um, yeah. which I think is owned by potentially someone like Heineken, isn't See, it? See, I didn't know it's that. It's a mail order company yeah, I, I, that they're, yeah, they're getting into the market. Are, yeah. Gosh. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean... It's tough, isn't it? It's, you know, it's... 
I mean, that, though, putting on beer festivals is a substantial cost. And if someone like that comes in and potentially, I mean, I don't know because uh, I'm not involved in the business, says we're going to give you, you know, X thousands of pounds to sponsor the event mm. um, and then come along and host a pop-up, you know, beer shop or what have you. I mean, like, to your point before, maybe that money is money they need to run the festival or pay mm. to develop it or you know who knows but it, it does come down to, to to the sort of the ethos doesn't it mm. which I, I guess it just just to sort of tie, <laughs> tie it up I think transparency as you said earlier I think that's key because I think if if you're transparent and you you, you know you, you kind of you're you're managing people's expectations in some ways mm. so as long as people know it's fine but it's, it's almost like the, when people don't it's like the bait and switch mm. which is kind of what happened with Beaver Town where um, their um, extravaganza one year it's like sticking it to the man yellow yeah, fizz and so yeah, on yeah. and the next year it's kind of like oh and we're partnering with Heineken yeah and a lot of people feel betrayed because they think it's one thing their expectations are being managed that it's one thing and they're aligning themselves with that value because often people, it's people's values that feel offended more yeah. than the action. Um, you, you know, th- th- they weren't sticking their colours to the mast either way before. Um, and I, I mean, I personally think they managed all that quite well. Yeah, um, yeah. Y- you know, um, but I don't know, may- maybe people are just more used to it by that point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing yeah. occurring. But this is kind of what I don't, um, this is uh, why I sort of, there's so many blurred lines going on that it's difficult, I think, for people to navigate that mm. and then to make to make their own decision, really, because it gets to the point like, where they're like, well, who knows anymore? And you throw your hands up in the air and, and you know, it's, it, it's I just can't think think about it because who knows who owns what and all the rest of it. That's, that's a, so, you know, I think it is important that we probably help people yeah. with that transparency to make help them navigate that. Yeah. And um, and um, so they can make the make the decision. But I suppose on this point, which is is something worth noting. So I do run um, Sheffield Beer Week, uh, and I do run Indie Beer Feast, yeah. which um, was uh, is an independent beer festival, craft beer festival for Sheffield that was set up um, by myself. I think the first one was in 2018. So we've had two, 2018, 2019, and. You know the the indie part of its name is about independence. Mm. So I do have an ethos of um, showcasing independence there. Um, so you know, and that it's it's a it's it's sort of a, a I've decided to have that ethos because um, I want to give that platform to that voice to that independent voice because mm. you know I I, I feel that they sometimes are one or two individual small businesses and they don't always have the time energy or even marketing budget if uh, there is such a thing for a small business when they when they first start out <laughs> what is this marketing what budget is this what's, yeah um so you know that it's kind of a um providing a platform for for those sorts of um brewing businesses really to uh, to be able to celebrate that and celebrate all of the good things that I mentioned before, why I love independent business, its vibrancy and authenticity and and personality and mm. individuals, which I don't think celebrated enough. Um, so you know, it does have that ethos, and and you know, I'm gonna stick to that. Um, but it's yeah, it's becoming quite a, a grey area because independence in this country hasn't really been defined as such as it has by the American yeah like you know the American Craft Brewers Association so in in a vague way my sort of independent um, ethos the outline of that does kind of say it's similar to the US craft brewers so it's a uh, it has to be under a certain percentage to still be classed as an independent yeah. brewery so for, for example Northern Monk would be a brew dog would be mm. even though they've got sort of a 20 odd percent uh, investment um, so you know it's kind of uh, uh, that's kind of the, the, the sort of um, specifics I've sort of had to go to 
it's still and has never really been completely outlined by anybody in this country really has it and no. I know the Society of Indep Independent Brewers itself has a tension because they have some very big breweries I, I believe that are still yeah, uh, paid, mm. paid membership which is a whole kind of contradiction in itself which I know gets talked about in every year. Uh, That's opening a can of worms right there. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, but you know someone does need to or some you know and that organisation would be a great organisation to actually nail down some kind of definition mm. to be honest and it would be very timely for that to happen. Um, and it, so again with Sheffield Beer Week there's very much of an independent ethos as well. So I'm not, I'm not saying, so for example uh, for a number of years, a particular London brewery hosted very successful events at a pub in Sheffield and everyone loves it and it was great. Um, that very successful London brewery was bought by, um, by a big multinational brewery. Uh, we don't know the percentage of that, but it was a significant share, more mm. than the 20, you know, sort of 4% uh, figure. Um, and they did approach me to do an event with Sheffield Beer Week and, and I honestly said it, it's not part of Sheffield Beer Week's ethos uh, to support that event. Um, absolutely go and run that event with that pub. You know, it's been very successful. Unfortunately, I won't be promoting it under the Sheffield Beer Week banner yep. and you know, you're not able to use our logo in any of your promotion. So, you know, and that was, I was just very open and honest about that. And that event still went on during the week. Obviously, I didn't promote it under the Sheffield Beer Week banner, but it still happened. And, uh, you know, it, and so it's kind of, a, it's, it, it's just kind of a being open, honest and sticking to your, sticking to your ethos, but we can all still kind of manage to navigate this world's in these different spheres mm. together. Yeah, amicably. Amicably. Yeah, rather than throwing out the swears on the on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. It's, it's been amazing having you on the podcast today, Jules. Um, just, just for anyone who's interested in maybe coming to Indie Beer Feast next year or or hop hide out here at Commune, um, how can people find out about you? Uh, best way, uh, if you're not in Sheffield, is to get online and you can find us on the usual sort of social media feeds, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So it's Hop Hide Out. Um, the website's just old W is hophideout.co.uk. Indie Beer Feast, similar. Um, that's uh, at Indie Beer Feast. And then also Sheffield Beer Week. You'll find us on Twitter, but that's kind of slightly shortened to Chef Beer Week. Chef Beer Week. <laughs> well, I, in, I've not been to Indie Beer Feast yet because every year it seems to fall on my wife's birthday oh, we, weekend. Perfect birthday celebration. <laughs> yeah, and, and she, she likes beer, but not as much as I like it. Oh, well, I mean, this is the sort of to go, to go back to one of your points you were saying before uh, the, the industry and where it's changing. I do think. That there's kind of going to be a very exciting um, crossover sector of kind of farmhouse cider, skin contact wine and sort of wild spontaneous mm. mixed fermentation beers. For, for me that's a very exciting kind of direction and hybridisation and sort of inspiration across those three little sectors. So that's kind of going to be something that's going to be talked about I think more mm. Um, in in the uh, in the future, and you can kind of see that with the growth in some independent breweries that are just uh, specialising specifically in that area, yep. like Little Earth and Yonder, um, and obviously Brewdog have invested yep. a huge amount of money in uh, that overwork. So you know, if they think there's uh, that that's worth doing, then mm. you know, uh, I think that's <laughs> it's 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 going to be a real. Um, fast forward growth area I think that whole thing and I'm quite excited about that um, so yeah I mean Indie Beer Feast in March but we are we are looking to grow the cider offering and the skin contact wine offering so happy days maybe she'll be tempted by that well it's not if you don't like beer, beer it's well. just, no, uh, yeah. it's, just it's, yeah, it's it's yeah um, it's a whole day of it I know yeah, what you yeah. mean but that's what I'm trying to say in even me myself as a huge sort of beer uh, lover it's still, you know, even if I'm going to sort of other independent beer festivals, I'll still go and search out the cider or the other offerings that are going on, um, you know. Amazing. Yeah. Brill, well, thank you very much.
Today's episode of the Hot Ball Podcast is brought to you by Big. Taking place from Friday the 20th to Sunday the 22nd of September, some of the newest breweries who we feel are destined for big things will be pouring their beers in the recently opened Ice House Brewery Taproom based in the heart of Bradford. To book tickets, visit icebigfest.eventbrite.co.uk. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hi,